0: Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. We're taking up the seven sayings of the cross that Jesus made before Sunday coming up, which will be Easter. Today we're gonna talk about the fact that Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Up until then, he always called him Father. Why did he call him God at this time? Join me today and we'll find out.
1: For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian.
0: Hello and welcome to today's lesson number four in our series on the seven sayings from the cross. I'm Pastor Bob Yandian, good to have you here today for Student of the Word. You're the student, I'm the one teaching the Word of God, and so today we're gonna grow in the things of God. I've often said this, but you're going to leave this program today a little smarter than when you came, a little smarter than when you first turned this on. You're going to have some things to roll around in your heart. And please, why not get the series I'm teaching that we're offering uh, when halftime comes along? We'll tell you all about it. how you can have this series for yourself about the seven sayings for the cross. This is all leading up to the Easter Sunday, which is here just a few days away. So today we're gonna to take up the fact that Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross. And we're going to take up the fact that on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 23, because Jesus will be forsaken by God and then he will be killed on the cross. He will die on the cross. Although they killed him on the cross, he really died of his own free will. Uh, someone, you know, one of the men that was uh, talking to him, the king that was talking to him said, Wow, you seem so, you know, when you talk to me, he says, don't you understand I have the right to take your life? And Jesus said, no, you don't. No man takes my life. I pick it up when I want to, I lay it down when I want to. And on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands, I dismiss my spirit and he gave up the ghost. So we have it there again, that Jesus gave his life up voluntarily. In Matthew 23 here, Jesus is, I love this chapter. I mean, it's like all this time, Jesus has tolerated the Pharisees and 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 straightened them out one or two at a time or a group of them, but now they're all in front of him. And now he just lets them have it. And this is not the fact that they were Pharisees, it's the fact that they were religious. Religion is the major, the biggest opposer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you can name all the other stuff you want to, but when it comes down to it, Phariseeism, religious, in fact, the easier, the easiest people to get are non-religious people. It's easier, easier to get them born again. The hardest people to get born again are religious people, because they don't think they need anything. They're so religious, they think that their religion and their good works attached to religion are gonna get them into heaven. Matthew 23 in verse 29 through 36, Jesus again just lets these Pharisees have it. And notice what he says now in verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the sepulchers of the saints and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets." Oh really? They're saying, listen, I know our forefathers did this, and they killed the prophets that God sent, and we found this in the Word of God, but listen, we've become so much smarter through the years. You know what? If we would live back there, we wouldn't have done that. Look at verse 31. Now you be witnesses to yourselves that you are the children of those who killed the prophets. So fill up the measure of your fathers. Let me tell you what that statement means. Fill up the measure of your fathers. Your fathers killed the prophets. Your fathers killed the ones who came to bring the message of Messiah and your fathers killed them. And here's here's what he's saying. I'll use my coffee cup as an example. He said, they killed the first one, here it came. And here they killed the second one, here it came. Here's the third one, here it came. What were these prophets declaring? The coming of Messiah. And yet your forefathers killed them. The Pharisees before you, the legalistic Jews before you killed the ones who witnessed of the prophets. Now, what does he mean in verse 13? 32, fill up the measure of your father. They filled it up this much, one after another. You know what you're going to do? You're going to run it right to the top. Why? You're going to kill the one they prophesied of. They prophesied Messiah was going to come. I am him. But you say you wouldn't have killed them. You would have killed them. But here's the point. You're going to be worse than they are. You're going to kill the Messiah they talked about. And I am him. Ooh, they were so angry at him. And even when he said things like this, they thought, how can we kill him? The things he said so irritated them. He didn't come against the word of God. He came against their doctrines. He came against everything they had added to the word of God. He came against the religious aspects they had added to the word of God. So he didn't come against the law. He fulfilled it. But he was not afraid to come against their traditions. So in verse 32, fill up the measure of your fathers. In other words, you think your fathers did something. We're going to have this cup overflow with what you're going to do. Verse 33, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? Not because they were religious, but because they rejected Jesus Christ and they had such hatred toward him. He said, how in the world could you possibly escape? Because not only are you rejecting me, you hate me. I am the Messiah, the one that God prophesied of, and you might as well just shake your fist in God's face because he sent me. Verse 34, now behold, I will send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. He's now prophesying of the New Testament. And once you kill me, you're not gonna stop. Why, we go to the New Testament. Stephen was the first one after him. Many, many others were killed. Some you will flog in your synagogues, persecute them from city to city. This was Stephen, this was Paul, this was James, this was Peter, this was John, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachiah, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. So I say to you all, these things will come upon this generation, innocent men and women, have been knowingly condemned throughout history. Martyrs have been everywhere, and this thing still goes on today. And that is religious zealots or political zealots kill Christians and all had faults but were innocent of the charges. In other words, the ones they killed back there in the Old Testament were not perfect people. They had faults, but they were innocent of the charges brought against them. Jesus was innocent of the charges as well as a sinless human being. Even Pilate's wife had a dream of Jesus' innocence, and Pilate said himself, of Jesus, I find no fault in him. And even God said on two occasions, as he marked progress in Jesus' life and graded him, the day he was first baptized in the River Jordan and the Holy Spirit descended on him and Jesus entered his public ministry, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then later on, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter kept trying to interrupt and throw his opinion in there, finally God said, he said, Peter, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear you him. Twice, God commended his son and this is the humanity of his son. He didn't need to commend his deity. He commended the humanity. It says Jesus increased in favor and stature with God and man. Not God, not Christ, Jesus The humanity of Jesus grew and matured, and in his humanity, which had no sin nature, he continually rejected the offers of Satan to abandon himself and give him over and make Satan his Lord. He refused every single time, went to the cross and died for us. And this is why after three days and three nights, he could be raised from the dead. He had no sins of his own. For three days and three nights, he suffered. For three days and three nights, he was in the heart of the earth, and he was there for your sins and my sins. And when he finally got through and the three days were over, my sins, your sins were all judged. He couldn't be held anymore because he had no sins of his own. So even God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was a perfect man, as well as God himself. The killing of Jesus would bring the judgment for all martyrs before and after Jesus. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46 says this, and about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, meaning my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus on the cross was abandoned by God, it was for a particular reason. Jesus not only took upon sin, he became sin for us. He had no sins of his own, but he was the righteous dying for the unrighteous. And on the cross, righteous Jesus accepted our unrighteousness. And at that point, Jesus Christ became sin for us. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Some to be martyred were killed. Others were delivered. Abel, the three Hebrew children, Daniel, Stephen, James, Peter, many of those that I just mentioned there, some were killed, some escaped being killed. And we're told this in Hebrews chapter 11, some escaped, but others were killed by the sword and they were, and they were persecuted and they were abandoned. They were left out in the, in caves, in the wilderness, all these things we see happening. It's because of there's always been martyrs and Jesus Christ on the cross, the perfect human being that always talked to his father and all that said to him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to point out something too. Up until this time, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And here on the cross now, all of a sudden with this fourth statement, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only time that Jesus Christ ever called his father God until this time he called him father. Right now, because his father turned his back on him, Jesus couldn't even address him as father because God is not the father of sin. And when he became sin on the cross, God had to turn his back on his own son. And that's when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was actually quoted back in the book of Psalm, first chapter 22, that he would actually say this from the cross, why have you forsaken me? And in doing so, Jesus now, was totally separated from God. And when this happened, darkness covered the earth. Darkness covered the earth for some three hours. And while Jesus was on the cross, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was an intense supernatural darkness. I imagine all the people around the cross were petrified. Even the soldiers, they were petrified. Everyone was because no one knew what to do. When this darkness covered the earth, he cried out during that time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can tell you this, God has not forsaken me because he forsook Jesus. Jesus took my place. I will never be forsaken as a Christian. My God will always be with me, always standing beside me. I may not love God at certain times, but he always loves me. I have forsaken God, but he's never forsaken me. I've turned and tried to go my own way for a while, but God will never turn away from me. He's always going to be there, why? Because he turned his back one day on Jesus and Jesus was a righteous man who became unrighteousness by choice. And God placed the sins of the world on him in so doing. When I was, uh, I I was asked to go to Oklahoma City one day by a lady in our church who was a state senator. And she wanted me to come and speak on capital punishment, what the Bible had to say. And she said, there's gonna be some groups there that are gonna be protesting against capital punishment. And so as I stood up there in front of everybody, I, I had no idea how violent these people were. But as the place got quiet and the moderator had everybody be quiet to listen to me, one man yelled at me, screamed at me from the back of the auditorium. How can you serve a God that killed, that murdered his own son? How can you serve a God that murdered his own son? I thought, I've never heard this argument before. And I was suddenly just dumbfounded. And the place was quiet for just a second. I just opened myself up to the Holy Spirit and he dropped this in me. And I said, "Sir." I said, God didn't kill his son on the cross. Jesus said, I give my life up when I want to. I pick it up. I lay it down when I want to. And on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands, I dismiss my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. I said, what I can tell you is this. Jesus died of his own free will. But while Jesus died of his own free will, God laid the sins of the whole world on him, you, me, and all those hundreds who are here in this auditorium today protesting, he died for your sins too. And all you have to do is simply receive him. And then the the father you say that killed him, is the father that really just raised him from the dead. He was raised by the power of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I said, the other two members of the Godhead raised his body up from the grave and he was alive from that time on. And I said, all you have to do is put your faith and trust in him and you will be saved. I said to the whole crowd, bow your heads. I led that entire crowd in a prayer for salvation. You could have heard a pin drop in that place as they suddenly realized through one argument that was suddenly turned around Jesus Christ really died of his own free will and took your sins and my sins. And at the moment that happened, it happened because Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? I'll see you right after the break.
1: Jesus' final words, the last seven statements that he made before descending and ultimately ascending from earth into heaven, hold great significance for both the believer and for the world. In this six part topical study, Pastor Bobby Indian closely examines and explains the seven statements Jesus made from the cross. Studying those statements carefully sheds light on their significance in the lives of believers today. Message titles include: Father forgive them. Today in paradise. Behold your son. My God, my God. I thirst. It is finished. And Father, into your hands. To order Seven Sayings from the Cross, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life, through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click
0: on partnership. Hi, this is Pastor Bob And Pastors, ministers, I know many of you would like to have some evening classes. Maybe you don't have enough in the congregation to really have fellowships, home groups, things like that. But this is the most important. This is supplemental the Word of God. I have a curriculum series, 10 30-minute uh, lessons on video, as well as my book on end times that goes along with it, a teaching on the subject of probably one that pastors fear the most is end times. Don't understand it. With all the different viewpoints today, I come back to the basics of what the Word of God says, there is a rapture of the church coming, and seven years later after that, Jesus is coming back to establish His millennial kingdom on this earth. And so much is taught in the Word of God about the simplicity of what God is saying. Once you understand it, then it seems like confusion is gone. If you'd like to do this, you might have a time where you do it over a two-week period, five nights a week or spread it out into 10 weeks, whatever you would like to do. I know it'll be a great blessing to you. And on top of that, your congregation will come out smarter on the other end and you'll look good because you brought it into the church. See about having this series just for yourself. About three o'clock, Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. About three o'clock, Jesus cried out, with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, meaning, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross at that time had the sins of the world placed on him. Up until then, it was beatings. Up until then, everything else had happened. And Jesus never voiced it whenever that oppression came against him. But the moment he became the sins of the world, he cried out and screamed out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What the nails couldn't do, what the spear couldn't do, what all those other things couldn't do, by the fact fact that he was crucified and beaten and thorns placed on him, he never, the Bible says "A sheep before her shears is dumb." he opened not his mouth. But the moment that God placed the sins of the world on him, your sins, my sins, and the sins of everybody, the moment that happened, the sky went black, God the Father turned his back on his son and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, we know why God forsook him. Even Jesus knew why God forsook him, but it was such a terrible moment. At that moment, he just cried out, that said he has been forsaken, God had to turn his back on him because Jesus Christ became sin for us, for all of us, and then died in that condition and was for three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We would call it hell. He went to hell for us. He went to the uttermost to save us to the uttermost. And Jesus went there. And after three days and three nights, your sins and my sins were forgiven but Jesus had no sins of his own and Satan couldn't keep him. And God, the father, the one that has often been said, well, you know, he just killed his own son on the cross. No, God didn't kill him. God raised him from the dead. Jesus accepted death. Jesus accepted physical death, but he accepted spiritual death too, because he died at that point on the cross, separated from God, the father. God, the father had to turn his back on his own son. And later on, though, Jesus was raised from the dead. Again, I brought it out. Some to be martyred were killed. Others were delivered. Abel was killed. The three Hebrew children were delivered. Daniel was delivered. Stephen was killed. James was killed. Peter was killed. We find many martyrs throughout the word of God. Some were delivered, some were not. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about these. Most were forsaken, again, by everyone, even by their parents, by their brothers, their sisters, and their friends. Jesus' mother stood by the cross. Mary was there during that time. They stood alone to be tortured and killed. Before Paul's death, he had been forsaken by all except for Timothy even brought it out in second uh, Timothy chapter 4 where he said, all have forsaken me. He said, Timothy, you're the only one that stood by me. You're the one that's been a really good friend. I'm now in prison. I know my time has come to die. He says, but would you bring my coat and bring my parchments? What's he simply saying? Friends have forsaken me, but the word will never forsake me. Bring those parchments because even till my dying breath, I want to study the word of God. But none were forsaken by God. Again, people forsake us, but God never will forsake us except for Jesus Jesus suffered being forsaken by God, so we will never face being forsaken by God. You have forsaken Him. Don't look at me so righteous. Look at me in truth and realize there's been days I forsook God, went off and did my own thing, and I knew it was wrong, but you know what? God never forsook you. You've walked away from God, but God has never walked away from you. Prodigal walked away, but in the pig pen came to himself and said, I'll return to my Father. The relationship was still there. God is still your Father. But Jesus Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God. He no longer saw him as his father because he became sin. And God is not the author. God is not the birther of sin. No, Jesus Christ became sin for us. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I became the righteousness of God in Christ and in God himself, because Jesus Christ took my place, died for me, and on the cross became sin for me, and cried out a cry that I will never have to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am eternally part of God's family. He's eternally my Father. Jesus Christ is eternally my older brother, and we are all children in the family of God. Jesus didn't complain when he was forsaken by his disciples, and that's all of them. John eventually came back, but every disciple ran. He prophesied it would happen. And he didn't cry out when he was beaten, having thorns pushed into his head or nailed. No, what happened was he cried out only when God put sin on him. Psalm 22 verses one through six prophesies this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The thing, the thing that Jesus cried out on the cross was a fulfillment of what was written in Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is the messianic Psalm of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, just like Isaiah 53 is the prophetic voice speaking what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Psalm 22 verses one through six. My God, my God, why have Have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? He was screaming this out on the cross. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear in the night season and am not silent. Why? Verse three, because you're holy. At that point, Jesus was not holy is not the fact that he wasn't holy because he was born outside of Adam's transgression. He suffered your sins and my sins. That's why he could say, I'm not holy. And God couldn't look at him because he carried our sins on the cross, not of his own, but of ours. And because of that, God couldn't look on him. And three days later, God could look on him and raised him from the dead because your sins and my sins were now taken out of the way. And Jesus again had no sins of his own. But you are holy, verse three. You inhabit the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were delivered. They trusted in you and were not confounded. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. I love this verse. In the Hebrew, he says here, I am a worm. The word for worm is the word tola. Tola was a rare worm. I, You probably say, well, who gives a rip about a worm? No, this worm was so valuable and so precious, it was under the protection of the king, king kings would put protections on this one. It was difficult to raise them, and it took a while to raise them. But the blood of this worm, whenever they crushed that worm, the blood that came out was such a special crimson color, and they used it to dye garments. And the king's garments, only the king and royalty can have this particular color. But again, they had to find this particular worm called a tola. And what Jesus is saying is, I am a tola, not a man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. When Jesus went to the cross. He was so special. No one was like him. He was born of a virgin. No one was like him. He was born and remained in freedom for his entire life. No man was like him. He went to the cross causeless. No man was like him. He was like that Tola worm that was under special protection. And Jesus walked under special protection till he went to the cross. There he was crushed. And through his blood, you and I now wear king's garments. We're part of the king's family. He says, I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Others who cried out were delivered by God. Israel pleaded at the Red Sea and saw deliverance. Hezekiah prayed to God as an enemy army was destroyed in one night that came against him. Jesus cried out when forsaken by his father and got no response. He was no longer righteous. He became sin. He became our sins. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was what John the Baptist declared. When Jesus first walked on the scene, God could no longer fellowship with him. His first cry was father, forgive them. He had a relationship with God and called him father. Now he calls his father, God, the cry of a lost man. Jesus was that Tola, that worm, and he was not a man at all. Jesus who had been righteous was now lost. Only one other in history faced this, and that was Adam. But Adam was guilty. Jesus Christ was innocent. Adam's sin caused sin to pass on all men. Jesus accepted our sin so righteousness could pass upon all men. Oh, what a wonderful translation. What a wonderful cause. What a wonderful thing that Jesus did. On the cross, he became sin so we could have his righteousness. On the cross, as it happened in the Old Testament, where Jacob crossed hands when laying hands on the two sons of Joseph, and he actually put the right hand on the younger one and the left hand on the older one, which is backwards of what it should be, represented what God did on the cross. As Jesus was there, God took the hand that should have gone to Jesus and placed it on us, and the hand that should have gone on Jesus was placed on us. He accepted our sin. I became his righteousness. And this is what it's simply saying. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and following. Tell us about this, what Jesus did. He accepted our sin so righteousness could pass upon all men. And Jesus' last cry would be, Father, into your hands I dismiss my spirit. By that time, God saw and foresaw that the sins that were judged on the cross would now be done in hell and handled there. And at that time, in that case, Jesus could call him Father again. Now, Now again, though, he calls him God. Sin's judgments would be over. Sin's penalty would have to be removed after three days and three nights. But Jesus Christ did it. And that's why he came. He came for no other reason than to seek and to save that which was lost. Oh, I know he he caused great things to happen. Miracle signs and wonders, but that's not the first reason of why he came. That's a side benefit, which we can also have in our own case, that as God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, he can also say to us, I give these things to you. And he said to us that we can now lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. All these wonderful things were given to us. But you know what? The greatest thing that was given to us was not the working of miracles or gifts of healings, the greatest things that was given to us is now we're a member of God's family. Jesus became sin for us. All these other things are temporary. Healing is temporary. Deliverance is temporary in this life when people are delivered from sickness and disease and problems around them. When you walk through a problem, it's suddenly over. We can rejoice here, but you know what? Angels don't rejoice in heaven when you come through your problems. Angels rejoice in heaven for one reason, and that is that a sinner repents. And so when we lead people to Jesus, there's a party in heaven. Why? Because that's eternal. That's the thing we do in this earth by getting people saved that is eternal. Healing is just a temporary thing that might lead a person into it. Second Corinthians chapter five, I wanna quote that verse of scripture, verse 17 through 21, therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And all things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's absence, be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, Jesus took your sins, your shortcomings, and everything you've ever done. On top of that, he took your lost condition that you were born in and took that upon himself. So that if you'll receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, not only will your sins be forgiven, but God will change you internally and put his spiritual life on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit will actually come to reside on the inside of you. And even though your flesh has not been changed, it has no control over you. When you walk in the spirit, and follow after the word of God. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. We have two things the world doesn't have, the power of the word and the power of walking in the spirit. And God has given both of those to us that we can walk in holiness even in this life. So not only was I made holy when I accepted Jesus, I can walk in holiness too. All that happened because on the cross for a split moment, Jesus cried out to God the Father and said, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? But it's forsaken no longer, so we can be forsaken no longer. See you next time.
1: You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast.